Hey, you asked, and we answered. The, I mean, no, wait. <laughs> we asked, and you answered. <laughs> we asked, which one do you want us to do? Question and answers or revelation? And you said, in favor of question and answers, I think it was 10 to 7. But it was so close, we decided to do both. So you're in luck. It's a double episode week of the deep end. Today, question and answer. Tomorrow, revelation. So welcome to question and answer today on the deep end. <laughs> now, let me get this right this time. Uh-oh. You're going to ask, and I'm going to answer. Question and answers on the deep end, live Wednesday at noon on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, wherever, however you watch or hear. And then after we're done, of course, whenever you hear or watch, welcome in. This is the Deep End Podcast. My name is Tim Hatch. I'm your host. And joining me on the couch over here is Chris McEwen, who shall screen and take your questions as they come in. Bring them. Bring them. Bring those questions. I had such a great time doing this last week. I wanted to do it again. And I was hoping that you guys would vote for question and answers. And you did. So... The, the vote on social media came down to like, I don't know, it was, it was close, like 10 to 7, yeah. something like that. Well, uh, people want both, I think. Yeah. They're crying for both. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it wasn't a landslide one way or the other. Okay, yeah. Because I like to do both. I like to teach the Bible. So tomorrow, tune in again. Yes, tomorrow, tune in again for another episode of the Deep End Podcast. Maybe this will become a daily thing. When can I tune in tomorrow? Is that at 12, 12 noon. noon? Oh, cool. So 12 noon tomorrow. Yep. Thanks for asking that question. Yeah, Good and that's going to be the continuation on Revelation. Continuing Revelation. Yeah. Chapter 11. Yeah. Uh, and then also tonight, if you're a Waters Church person, oh, come yeah. to First Wednesday. Yeah. 6 p.m. prayer, 7 p.m. worship, 7.30-ish communion and the word. And you want to you don't want to miss First Wednesday every time we gather on First Wednesday. It is a fantastic time. Now, a little thing, we don't have child care tonight. No child care. let them know, but uh, we do that so our kids' workers can get in and hear the word and worship. Yes. Yeah. So no child care. Get a babysitter like me. Well, like Cheryl and, my, uh, my, uh, Cheryl and I, we are getting a babysitter. We actually have a built-in babysitter. Uh, it's our oldest child. <laughs> Excellent. That's, That's a good where you're going with that. Yeah. That's Dog why you want to have children early on in your marriage because you have a built-in babysitter mm-hmm. later on in your marriage. For but the anyway. younger ones. Yeah, for the younger ones. Good. So it's question and answers. Nothing to talk about except what you want to talk about today. Open agenda. Mm. No, not, not doing any news stories now. No, we'll nothing. save news for tomorrow. No revelation talk right now. That's tomorrow. Just you. So questions. Uh Someday, maybe this will become a daily thing. I was just going to talk about that one, one yeah. thing real quick because I thought, you know, that's my dream is to be a Q&A guy. Hank Hanegraaff's replacement. Does anybody know who Hank Hanegraaff Hank is? Hank Hanegraaff? No, I don't no know. One, they're all too young. He is the Bible Answer Man. He does the Bible Answer Man broadcast on okay. Christian radio. Yeah. It's my dream to be his replacement. You can call in, answer all the questions. Yes, yeah. all the call in questions. Oh, well, I would love Maybe we, we can do make call that happen. In? Michael, is it possible to do call in? I'm putting him on the spot over here. Yeah. Yeah, like definitely. an old fashioned. I would love it. Yes. I would love to do Colin, and then I could actually like talk to the person. Yeah, that'd well, be fun. We might have let to us know in the comments if you're interested in calling in oh, to the Deep End podcast. That's let us know in the comments. Whole another level. Whole another level. Uh-huh. Hey, we're always taking things to another level That's of water. True. One of our theme statements around here is "Make it better." Whatever we're doing, make it better. Yeah. So let's get to the questions. Your questions, you can ask them in the comments right now. You can text them anonymously to the number behind me: five zero eight three one six nine three three three. Yep, five zero eight three one six nine three three three. That's anonymous. The comments can't be anonymous, but you can do either. So we got a question. Let's start off the uh, show. 
Yeah, I, I mean, they're coming in already. Um, Patty. Patty says hi. Hi, Patty. She's glad that you're here. Glad to be here. And she has a difficult question about scriptures, particularly about evil. Did God create it? First uh, Samuel 16, 14, she quotes, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tempted him. Isaiah 45, 7, in the King James, she says, uh, From the light and create darkness, make peace and create evil. The Lord do all things. So did God create evil? Okay, well, first off, the question is better phrase, what is evil? Mm. Uh, and it's like, to me, it's equivalent to what is dark. And in that Isaiah passage that you just quoted, you'll notice that God does a little synonymous parallelism there. Uh, that's a fancy theological word, synonymous parallelism, to say that there are two lines that are parallel, that are synonymous, that are helping you understand uh, the comment, the concepts in both lines. So when God says, I create darkness and light and then evil and good, we have to equate, obviously, light and good are equitable in that passage, and then evil and darkness are equitable in that passage. And the question becomes this, what is darkness? Mm. So because if we, can if we can discern what is darkness, then we can discern what is evil. And so the simple answer is, from the Bible now, looking at the Scriptures, the Scriptures open with God saying, let there be light. That's the very first thing that God says and starts to the, start uh, initiates the creative process by which we have everything that we have today. So through his word, light comes into creation. The word of God is his self-expression of himself, his self-revelation of who he is. He is light. Even the scripture says he is light and whoever lives in him lives in the light. And so what is evil? Evil is wherever God has not revealed himself or God has not expressed himself, and darkness is wherever light is not. Let me say it a little bit more simple. Darkness is not a thing as much as it is the absence of light, and even scientists tell us the same thing. Right. Light or heat. Cold is, not the, cold is not a thing. Cold is the absence of heat. That's a scientific expression. Evil is not a thing as much as it is the absence of the goodness of God. Now, as we understand evil, we're thinking trouble. And that's a very important passage that you quoted there from 1 Samuel chapter 16, where it does say an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. But the better translation that I read is ESV, a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so sometimes we think, okay, this means that God harms people. No, God allows evil. God uses and leverages evil and harm for his ultimate good. Now you also have to read that passage in the context of what Saul has begun to do. Saul has begun to take the kingdom in his own name, the kingdom that God gave him, and he begins to think that he is the center of all that God is doing, and he usurps his authority as king. He offers the sacrifices. In another passage, he spares uh, the best of the sheep and the goats for his own uh, financial benefit when God had commanded him to wipe out the sheep and the goats and all the things that belonged to the Amalekites as retribution for how they treated the Israelites as they came out of uh, Egypt and wandered through the wilderness. Uh, so you have a lot more to the story than just that one verse a harmful spirit from the Lord. And what you have is God leveraging evil spirits that are still under his control to accomplish a work in Saul's life that actually starts to bring an end to his kingdom slowly, thus, and thus uh, making way for the kingdom of David. All these Old Testament stories 
are pictures of New Testament realities. And uh, Saul, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow on the podcast, about Revelation. And Saul's kingdom is like a picture of the world kingdom, the kingdom of the world. And David's kingdom is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even right now, there's lots of evil all over the world, but God is in the business and is from Genesis right through the Old Testament, right through the Old Testament, right through the New Testament, all the way up to and through Revelation. God leverages evil to bring about his ultimate good. Mm. And so that's what you have to read there. And it's not saying that God intentionally creates evil. It is that evil exists. The opportunity of evil exists because when in the beginning, God did not create automatons. Even the angels were not automatons. We believe scripture reveals that Satan led a rebellion in heaven before creation, and a third of the angels went with him in rebellion against God. What was Satan's desire? To be like God. Right. To usurp the authority under which he was. And so Satan, having the opportunity to uh, reject God, again, reject the manifestation of God. Reject what? The manifestation. What did we say the manifestation of God was? His word. His word is his self-revelation. So Satan rejects his word and uh, subverts the authority. God casts him down. And then where did he cast him down to from heaven? Well, I believe he cast him down to earth. That's why the Bible opens with creation saying that the earth was formless and void and darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep. Darkness again, the absence of God. So what you have is Satan was thrown to the earth and then God is creating man from the earth. And this gets into a whole bunch of other things. that I, I don't want to go too far into this, but Satan, uh, God creates man out of that earth and through man is going to usurp the disobedience or the authority of Satan on the earth. Uh, he did, gave him dominion, but uh, man surrendered dominion to Satan by listening to Satan's word rather than God's word and so on and so forth. We're in the mess that we are today. Jesus comes and undoes what Adam did. Uh, Jesus obeys. Jesus surrenders. Jesus submits to the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God, and He is light, and He is light breaking into the darkness of this world. And though it looks like the darkness triumphs at times, God leverages the darkness to ultimately bring about His 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 perfect good. The archetype of this is the cross. The cross is tremendously evil. The cross, <laughs> the act of the cross, the, right. the, the crucifixion. Happened, sure. It is tremendously evil. Uh, brutal. The most brutal form of torture and death the world has possibly ever yeah. known or experienced. And God uses that excruciating. We get the word excruciating from the Latin meaning out of the cross. Excrucio. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, so the excruciating, violent, evil death that was put upon Christ was actually used by our Heavenly Father to do what? To bring about life and light uh, to all who put their faith in him. Good. Long answer. Yeah. Difficult question. I think you got there. I'm starting to rethink that wanting to replace Hank Hanegraaff. Yeah, every day. No. <laughs> that was a good question, Patty. Thank you for that. So do you want a, a light question or do you want a heavy question? Just give me a question. All right. We got a heavy one. Well, this is a two-parter, so two people. First, I'll give you a... Uh, Mayor Pete is running for president. He is a self-proclaimed married gay man and a Christian. He was married in the Episcopal Church. This is confusion. confusing. This goes back to the first question that I didn't ask yet, which is why and when is homosexuality a sin? Why and when? So why and when is homosexuality a sin? The, only, yeah. the answer that I can give you in the short form is the scriptures reveal in six different places Okay, now that, that's more than the Bible deals with bestiality, mm. uh, pedophilia, uh, rape, incest, okay, and all kinds of other evils that we agree are evil today. Slavery, okay? Six different places. The scripture 
clearly enunciates God's disapproval with homosexual behavior. Uh, now, the terminology, well, I was born gay. Well, we're all born sinners. Right. Every single one of us. I was born wrong. I'm telling you right now, you're looking at a guy who's born wrong the first time he was born. This is why <laughs> the epitome of the Christian conversion is the born again experience. That's what we say. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. You, by Jesus enunciating to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, who was, by the way, the religious elite member, member of the Sanhedrin, member of the Pharisees, one of the, one of the most religiously mindful and professional religious people out there, moral, moral to the nth degree, Jesus says to him, you were born wrong too. And so sin is not something we do before it is something we are. And we have to remember that. Everybody manifests or expresses their iniquity, the internal reality of our sinfulness, in different actions that are detrimental to our humanity. Now, there are scores of evidence that is being covered up now in today's scientific academy that homosexual behavior is not just, uh, not, just um, not natural, but is actually harmful to the human body, the human flourishing experience. Right. Uh, there is scores of evidence that the best, most healthy, and happiest sex on earth is one man, one woman in the marital covenant till death do us part. <laughs> there's, no, there's no research out there showing that there is any other form of sexual expression that is healthier. So why is sex What's the, why is homosexuality... What? When, when and why is it a sin? Sin. When so and why? It is a sin in that it is a manifestation of the broken inner iniquity of, within human beings that causes them to rebel against God's goodness and, in some ways, self-destruct. We self-destruct, by the way, in a number of different ways, not just homosexual behavior or sexual sin. We self-destruct in any number of sins. Mm. Um, but it's what it is betraying, the desire and the act that brings harm to our bodies is betraying the reality that inwardly we are broken. We were born wrong. We need to be saved. This is why we talk about, we, this is why terms like saved, born again, redeemed are Christian terms. But before they were Christian terms, they were Greek terms referring to bringing something that was broken back into its rightful position and rightful place bringing that which is broken into healing, bringing that which is lost into being found, bringing that which is purposeless into purpose, uh, bringing that which is not valuable into value. Redeem is a huge Christian term, but sure. it's actually just a financial term, which means to yeah. redeem. Think about the word re and deem. Re meaning again, deem, I deem this worthy, or I deem this this much money, or I deem this worth this much money. Redeem is to put back on you a value and a worth. So sex between same-sex partners is wrong in that it is expressly forbidden in scriptures. It is definitely harmful to the human condition and human flourishing. Uh, and beyond that, we can go into the sociological effects of a child not having a mother or a father because same-sex partners have decided to raise children in a home without biological mom or dad. When, again, the scores of scientific evidence, the scores of sociological evidence are out there that says when mom and dad stay together and love each other and love children and raise them in their home, they thrive and right. succeed and flourish. Now, the church is not here to legislate their morality upon other people. 
There is no reason for us to tell non-believing homosexuals to stop being homosexual. There really isn't, uh, except to the fact that we want them to flourish just like we would want ourselves to flourish. The problem is they're not going to listen. Why are they not going to listen? Because the human condition of sin is rebellion against God, and rebellion is not solved by better arguments. Rebellion is not solved by debate. Rebellion is solved when the one we are rebelling against, God, actually shows us his kindness and love and grace and redeems us through his own self-sacrifice. And it is the redemption work of Christ, the sacrificial work of Christ, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance from our rebellion and then starts to open the doors for our hearts to start doing and longing in the will of God. Good. So I have uh, three on that subject, if we want to go there. Uh, Follow up to this uh, from Rebecca Allen. Uh, this also applies to those who believe that they are binary, binary without gender. Well, that's a different issue, and it's uh, it's really a bunch of that's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Uh, th- talk about this, science. I mean, this is an absolute disregard for science. Yeah. You know, this is funny about the progressive culturalist cultural elites out there who have leveraged science for decades yeah. to deny the existence of God, right. and now are taking feelings, subjective, highly individualistic human feelings to disregard scientific discovery and fact. (laughs) Yeah. And which is it? Which is (laughs) it? I'll tell you something. Let me just say something. This is a very firm warning. If the feelers of our culture win this argument, like the homosexual marriage argument was won by the progressive elitists in our culture in this past decade, I'm telling you, Western civilization is done. It is done. It is just a foregone conclusion before uh, there will be foreign forces from other countries who do not fall into this absolute insanity and uh, come in with stronger, better weapons and better technologies and ultimately obliterate us. This is is so off-the-wall crazy. I can't express it enough. Mm. But it is also... Um, revealing the fact that rebellion against God is just that deep and terrible. It just goes from one level of insanity to another. You understand that in him is life. In him is light. In him is hope, peace, goodness, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. To rebel against him is self-destruction because nothing good uh, is possible apart from God. So this is just basically the trajectory of a culture that has, for decades, rejected the authority of God, the authority of the scriptures, the authority of, now think about this, Chris, mm. even um, physicality. This, we are rejecting even the authority of the material realm. Like there, we, we've, gone, we've gone away from even the, the ancient pagans of, of the past that submitted to the sun, the stars, and the moons, and sacrificed to them, okay? Okay, uh, the Bible and the scriptures and the Christian his, uh, historical movement, in large part, eliminated that kind of false pagan idolatry, sure. right? Worshiping yeah. the sun. No, we worship the God who made the sun. Right. Well, that wasn't a, that wasn't a popular idea until Christians came along. Yeah. Uh, and actually, Jews, let's be honest, Jews came along and, and gave us the Torah and the scriptures and the revelation of who God is and that he created all these things that other nations and other pagans worship. Well, now that we're on the other side of that, and, and by and large, culture and, and, and the world accepts that there's a God who formed these things of the world, now we are rejecting him, and we've gone back now 
we've rejected him, so now we're going to reject all that he has made yeah. and all that he shows to be authoritative figures in our lives. And, and even our material realm, there's, there is a submission to it. I am a man. How do I know I am a man? <laughs> because of the scientific proof that I am a man. Um, that was very evident from the moment that I was conceived. Okay, yeah. This is scientific reality. Are we going to submit to this, or are we going to also reject it? reject and rebel against that. But rebellion against God opens a floodgate of rebellion against almost every other form of authority over our lives. And this is why you have uh, public educators today abdicating their roles as authority figures for the subjective feelings of six-year-olds. And I want to just say something a little bit more, um, you know, this is going to be touchy for some people, but listen to me very carefully. If a six-year-old comes to you and says, I don't care what you say. I love this 21-year-old man, and I want to marry him. You would tell that six-year-old, you don't know what you're talking about. That's wrong and harmful to your life. But when this same six-year-old tells you, I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body, or I'm a a girl trapped in a boy's body, you suddenly say, okay, we're going to uh, accept that, agree with that, and support that, and medicate you on that? Mm. Are we crazy? Are we, have we lost our flipping minds? Mm-hmm. Like, let's come back to reality. And let's ask ourselves, is there anything such as authority anymore? And I think that's really the bottom line is we have rejected again. We have rebelled against God, the ultimate authority. And then when you rebel against the ultimate authority, every other rebellion against every other possible authority is on the table, including rebellion against scientific discovery yeah. and medical fact. And that's where we are. That's good. So uh, two how-dos on that same subject. Uh, Somebody asked, how do I as a Christian respond to people uh, with asinine statements? Hope I can say that. Uh, Like, God does not make mistakes. He made people gay because in the animal kingdom, there are gay animals. And then... Yes, okay. Well, in the animal kingdom... um, uh, mother lions eat their babies. Okay? I have a dog breeder who bred my dogs, and he tells me the story of he has these dogs that when they get pregnant, you never know. When the, do- when the female dog gets pregnant, you never know what kind of dog she's going to become. And especially after she gives birth, she could turn into an insane person. Yeah. This is weird in the dog kingdom, insane the canine dog. species, right? Uh, he told me that he just had a dog give birth to like nine puppies. She ate every single one. Wow. So now are we to take that? as a standard of morality for humanity? Are you crazy? Are we crazy? Look at the animal kingdom. Okay, I was in a safari a couple of weeks ago. You don't want to go that direction. (laughs) Trust me, all right? Uh, It is every creature for himself. It is uh, survival of the fittest, just like Darwin said, Uh, and there is a reason why uh, there is such a thing as um, not evolution but creationism, which elevates the human the human species above all the other species in dominion and authority. We are not in, we are never commanded to take our moral precepts from the animal kingdom. There is a reason why at the zoo, the monkeys are in the cage <laughs> and the humans are outside the cages. Right. There's a reason for it. If we let the monkeys run the world, Watch out. Have you seen I've the seen movie? movie? I saw all of them. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Yep. Have you seen this? Okay. Uh, it's just insanity again. And how do I respond? I think Couple you things. Did. You gave them a good... Well, I said that, but that's an, that's an argument. Again, yeah. you know, sometimes you got to remember that you're arguing with a rebellious heart. And so, again, it's not the better argument. It's not the better debate. I've already talked about this. Yeah. It is love your neighbor as you love yourself and love your enemies 
don't worry about debating non-believers these issues. If it's a Christian, well, then I would ask them to explain their conversion experience. Tell me how you became born again. That would be a great question. If, a, if you're arguing this with a Christian, a professing Christian, ask them the question, how did you come to the reality that you were lost and dead in your trespasses and sins and Christ saved you? I'd love to hear your story. Uh, because I guarantee you, if they aren't, if they aren't open in, the, in their souls to the truth of God's word in these regards, there's probably no conversion there. Yeah, so you just answered this next one. I just want to read it so we can say we answered it. But I have friends who are gay, married, and profess their Christian faith. So they're gay, married, and say they're Christian. How do I have a truthful conversation with them about this topic? You just said that, right? Yeah. Um, again, I would ask them questions about their conversion experience and even what right. it means to be a Christian to them. There is a form of Christianity in this culture right now that what is exactly what Paul described to Timothy. He said a form it would have a form of godliness, mm. a form of religious practice, but denying the power therein. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And you read through the book of Romans, the first 12 chapters, unpacks the conversion experience, unpacks the theological precepts or constructs that underpin the conversion experience of the human heart, that all are sinners, all are not, all are hopeless and separated from God, fall short, and apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, we are lost and dead. That in Christ, he has, through the work of Christ, he has justified those who believe. So the um, two strands of Christianity that we have in America are the born again, I need to be converted, I was lost and dead in my trespasses and sins, and I confessed this to God, and I came to him through faith in Christ Jesus, and upon confession of my sins, his Holy Spirit redeemed me, brought me into, the, into new life in Christ. My heart has been changed. Jesus said, make the tree good, the fruit will be good. Okay, the tree is first made good through conversion, and now my life trajectory is completely different than it was before that happened. Right. That's one strand of Christianity. That's my strand of Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. Second strand of Christianity is what I call the social Christian experience, which is let's ignore all that stuff about um, atonement for sins, um, the blood of Jesus being a requisite for the atonement of sins, uh, conversion, experience, personal salvation, repentance. Now, let's, that's not really what Jesus was talking about. He was really more about loving people, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, taking care of the poor. These are the things that Jesus wants us to do. And so what we do is we eliminate the actual gospel from Christianity, and we are left with moral precepts on how to be a good neighbor. And let me say this as firmly as I can. You're not getting to heaven on that. No one's getting to heaven on that. This is why Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 7 that there will be many who come to him with a record of their own righteousness. And he even takes the epitome of record of your own righteousness. You prophesy in my name. You cast out demons. You do all these things in my name. And he's going to tell those people, depart from me, I never knew you, workers of iniquity. Right. In other words, out of your inner iniquity spirit, your condition of sin, you worked naturally out of that. 
That is not Christianity. It is not Christianity. You know where it comes from? It comes from Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. It's a fruit of the Enlightenment. Thomas Jefferson, who was a child of the Enlightenment, the individual is king, the individual is God, the individual is the ultimate authority. And by the way, this is where we get same-sex marriage and where we get transgenderism, where we get six-year-olds telling us they're in the wrong body and we abdicating to them. It's the fruit of the Enlightenment. There is no authority except the individual. Now, this works well for economics, but poorly for moral compass and guidance. And so now today we see uh, the fruits of Thomas Jefferson enlightenment. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible, cut out the parts of Jesus's miracles, uh, all the things that Jesus said, like I was, that referred to him as God, as the one who was before Abraham was, all those kind of passages that he had a problem with, cut it out and created his own Bible, the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, the moral precepts of Jesus, and created institutional social Christianity. And it has grown right alongside true biblical Christianity in this country to the point today where we can have homosexual married couples who claim to be Christians, but really ultimately in their spirits are not. So I'm going to switch it up uh, a little bit lighter right now. Kevin O'Connell, a good friend of the program, he wants to know what happened to the Tim Head on a Stick that used to be part of the old deep end. Oh, I don't know where that is. It's gone. It's probably up in the old room, yeah. I'm, not, I'm sorry. All right, uh, so we're getting a lot of questions on what is the church's stance on marijuana and vaping. Marijuana and vaping. Okay, so yes, this one actually came in quite a, a couple times before the podcast. What is our stance? Our stance is that more marijuana is a psycho, a psychedelic drug that uh, affects your, um, I believe, your moral reasoning, your rational thoughts, uh, your cognitive reasoning. Uh, it distorts and disrupts um, the mind that God gave you, uh, the same mind that Jesus commanded you to love the Lord your God with. And the real question that you have to ask is, and this is a great question for anybody out there struggling with anything of, well, what can I get away with yeah. and still get to heaven? <laughs> Which is basically, why do you want to get as close to the devil's offerings instead of trying and desiring and longing to be as close to God's offerings? Yeah. That's good. Simple answer. Yeah. What, what in you? What, yeah. Like I, as a youth minister, I re I had this question all the time. How far can we go? Like this is a sexual question. That's the next. How question. far can we go <laughs> without being sinful? Why is that your question? What a stupid question. Like it's like the old story of of the rich man who lived on the top of the mountain and and his road wound up that mountain around the mountain but there was cliffs along the edge of the road and he had three limo drivers that he he interviewed to see who would be the one he hired and so the first limo driver took him up to the mountain and got within one foot one foot of that cliff. And he said, look at how close I can get without going over. And the second limo driver took him up within one inch of that cliff and said, look at how close. I'm closer than the other guy to the cliff. And I got you up there safely. And the third one took him to the other side of the road and got him as far away from the cliff, at cliff as possible, took him up to the top. The third one got the job mm. because the guy who wanted to get to the top of the mountain valued his stinking life <laughs> and, wanted, and wanted to be safe and secure. In the word of God is safety. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. You run to him and you are safe. And the and if you and so my question is, are you in marijuana smoking? Are you running to God or are you running away from him? And if you are running away from him, you are running away from safety. You are opening up your spirit and your mind to psychedelic experiences. And this is not good for you. Mm. And in Revelation, it talks about the fact that they did not repent from their sorceries. The word sorcery, I think is Revelation chapter 9, verse 21. 
The word sorcery is pharmakeia in Greek. P-H-A-R-M-E-K-I-A, which is the word we get pharmacies from. And so there's rampant drug use in our culture, uh, rampant problems because of drug use. And I'm talking also about the opioid crisis, the overprescription crisis, the, the addicted to prescription drugs crisis. Uh, life expectancy in this country is for the second time in three years on the decline. Do you know why? Oh, wow. Drug overdose. Yeah. And a lot of the drug overdoses are pharmacy prescribed or doctor prescribed drug overdoses yeah. that people steal from others and so on and so forth or just get overscribed. And then there's the illegal drug use, cocaine and heroin. And then there's the now legal, in some states, drug use of marijuana. In Colorado, this news item just came out last week. In Colorado, uh, emergency room visits are uh, three times what they were before they legalized marijuana, and the increase is directly related to marijuana use. Mm. And they are already freaking out. Hear, hear this. Listen very carefully. They are already freaking out because they don't know if their system of caring for the truly sick can handle caring for them when they've had this massive increase because of drug use, legal right. drug use. Right. Now, these same people, these same politicians who have argued and fought for the legalization of marijuana are the same ones who are going to come at you now and say, well, we need Medicaid and Medicare for all. We need universal health care. Isn't it amazing how the cycle goes around and around? We create the problem with our own legislation. Then we, legislation, then we legislate more things to make sure that we can care for the people who are ruining their own lives. And what it comes down to, what it really boils down to, is this just lack of desire to care for your own self. Moral responsibility. Just taking care of your life. Doing what's right, and it will go well with you. In the name of the Lord is safety. Under the shadow of his wings is safety. Run to him, not from him. I don't think as a Christian you can smoke the magic dragon. <laughs> so Patty wants to know... I don't think know, you should. Patty wants to know what about medical marijuana use for pain? Um, uh, well... I don't know too much about that. Yeah. And I'd love to know some of the research on that. But again, my caution to you is, is this the only drug available? Is this the only, is this the only uh, answer to your problem? Uh, and if your doctor is prescribing it, I don't think I would say don't take it. Because again, if it's medically and scientifically uh, you know, formulated so that it doesn't create what I would call that psychedelic experience. I think that what's, yeah. you know, recreational marijuana is I want to get high. Right. Well, that's again, you're giving your mind up to the spirits of the age, uh, opening your, uh, your body to um, uh, incapacitated moral, spiritual, intellectual reasoning and lowering your uh, defense, your natural defense mechanisms for making good choices about your life. Yeah. So when it comes to mar medical marijuana, again, it's like aspirin and Tylenol and that kind of stuff. I would never say don't take those things. Um, you know, Benadryl. I would, you know, say th those kind of things. So it's that's. I wouldn't come down hard on but that. But is I it guess. the best option? That's a good point. Guess, yeah, is it the best option? Yeah. I think that there. Are, I know. I think I met somebody, and I think he was a Christian, a pastor who had who in his cancer treatments was on medical marijuana, and he said it was the only thing that brought any kind of peace to that situation for his, for his physical body and care. This is not a guy who's trying to get high. This is not a guy who's trying to party. Right. This is a guy who is trying to serve the Lord, and it was so debilitating that he needed some relief. I think it was the only option. So I wouldn't come down hard on that. Okay.
the smoking marijuana, the, the recreational marijuana, this nonsense that we are, again, falling into. Uh, yeah, no, don't, don't come at me with that. That's not, you're just <laughs> looking for how can I get, how close to the edge can I get and not kill myself? Yeah. Why is that your question? Why? Examine yourself. Do you not want the things of God? Do you not want his goodness? Uh. Yeah. So that's the same. I shouldn't even have to ask this, but we've all agreed sex before marriage is wrong. Where is the line drawn through regarding other sexual activities before marriage? As long as there's no intercourse, is it okay? How I would word Yeah. It. I, uh, I think you kind of. Yeah, same deal. Same deal. They pick the limo driver right. that will stay far away right. from the curve. You know, and you know, you know when you're crossing the line yeah. because you're you're wondering if you're crossing the line. There you <laughs> like, go. Yeah, you know you're crossing the line. Feel guilty when suddenly you call, text into the deep end to say <laughs> how far can I go? So look, I'm not going to sit here and say, uh, you know, mouth must not go here, hand must not go there, because oh, that's that's not what I'm here to do. Okay. You know, you if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And you should be able to wisely discern what is appropriate sexually for your life. And, of course, intercourse is wrong. But I think anything that leads you further down the way into intercourse is wrong. And you need to stay away from that. Mm. So why does the Bible say that the gates of heaven are narrow? Well, Jesus uh, said the way to life is narrow, uh, not the gates of heaven. Uh, the gates of heaven are 12. They are made of a single uh, pearl and... Um, those pearls are named after the twelve patriarchs, or the sons of a, uh, the sons of um, uh, Jacob. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse thirteen, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And there, and those who find it are few." And what he is talking about there is himself. He is the gate. Later on in, the, in John's gospel, he will say, "I am the door for the sheep." Uh, anyone who enters by me will find life and pasture. And so when you come to Christ, you are coming through that gate. He is narrow. He is, uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the pathway to heaven. No man comes to the Father except through him. Right. I always say this on the weekend here at Water Church. I always, after I say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by him, I always say people hate it when Christians say that. Okay, well, Christians didn't say that. Jesus said that. Yeah. So make sure that when you respond hatefully to that statement, you put the right subject in the statement. Mm. So say, I hate when Jesus says that, <laughs> because that's who said it. Yeah. The reason why Christians say it is because Jesus said it. And what Christians do is follow what Jesus said. Yeah. So please just get the subject right. I have no problem with you hating Jesus, but please just make sure that you say, I hate when Jesus says that, because your problem is Jesus. It is not Christians. Maybe Christians are bad, but I understand that, and that's true. But don't hate Christians for something Jesus said. They're just telling you what he said. Yeah, He is the way. But the good news is he is the inclusively exclusive way. That's why it's narrow. It's one way. Yes. It is inclusive in that any Hindu, any Buddhist, mm. any Muslim, any atheist, any agnostic, any hate-filled bigoted, racist, xenophobic person on the planet can humble themselves and come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anybody. So Ashley was attacked today for claiming Jesus as the cure for her autoimmune disease, and she's wondering your advice on those who attack you for healing through Christ. Well, Ashley, I would say that um, 
is uh, not negative to be attacked for your beliefs yeah. in Christ. Uh, it is to be expected. If you've been listening to this podcast at all, you know that we have covered this ad nauseum in the previous episodes yeah. about the world is at against God, the world is at odds with God, and I've uh, talked about it even today. You know, I think that Christians, when it comes down to with Christians today in America, is we expect uh, Christianity to still be somewhat culturally acceptable in our country, and it is not, and it is getting increasingly culturally unacceptable to be Christian in this country. And you've got to learn how to put your big boy pants, your big girl pants on, and take it. And realize that we have been living, in this country anyway, in an extraordinarily rare time in which biblical Christianity was somewhat culturally acceptable. I'm talking about the period from the 1950s through, I would say, 1980, Mm. right? Christianity was somewhat culturally acceptable. Of course, it was a, an Americanized version of Christianity and not, not really perfect at all, by any stretch of the imagination. But now normal Christian behavior, even, even central Christian beliefs are, are becoming more and more counter to the cultural standards of the day. This is going to lead to more and more discomfort by people such as you, Ashley. Ashley? Ashley. Yeah. And you're going to have to learn how to handle that by rejoicing with your forefathers in the faith who suffered disgrace and dishonor for the name of Christ. Yeah. They rejoiced. They did not get up in arms about this. They did, not, they did not freak out about this. You know why they rejoiced? Because Jesus had told them that their hatred of you is proof that you belong to me. If they didn't hate you, you might not belong to Jesus. Right. And so... In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he says, Woe to those, uh, woe to you uh, of whom all men speak well of, for in the same way they regarded the false prophets before you. And so to be hated by the people of this world is a badge of honor in the gates of heaven. To be loved and adored by the people of this world who hate God is a warning sign to your life that maybe uh, you're not actually walking in the truth. Uh, the, the truth is hard to hear. Uh, even the truth about our own lives is hard to hear. So there's going to always be that latent hostility or somewhat uh, not latent was the other word, was the opposite of latent, that very uh, expressed, clear hostility. And it's increasing. And you've got to learn how to handle that. You've got to learn to rejoice. This is why you need to belong to a church where you can get that you know, momentary break from the hostilities of the world, come together as the body of Christ, yeah. and be amongst friends and family. So on the healing subject, uh, what do you think of healing and deliverance ministries that cast out demons? Do you think they take advantage of people, or does it open you up to more oppression? Interested in your thoughts as it's gaining a lot of ground all over the Internet? Yeah, well, it's been gaining a lot of ground since Jesus uh, (laughs) ascended to the right-hand side of God the Father. In in Acts chapter 8, you have Simon the magician who sees... um, the works of the Holy Spirit in Peter and Paul, Peter uh, and the disciples' lives, and he says, Ooh, I'll give you money, and I want that. Well, right there, right there is the seed of what will become false teachers and false prophets for the past 2,000 years of church history, and there have always been. And by the way, Jesus was very clear that there will be many, many who come in my name, many who do these kinds right. of things. Um, and then that's, that's the phrase where we get from Jesus, you shall know them by their fruits. Right, okay. We think that that you shall know them by their fruits is how we're supposed to judge all Christians. Uh-uh, wrongo, 
Wrong. You have not read that passage in context. Jesus is talking about false teachers. Mm. And in that context of false teachers, he says, you shall know them. Who? False teachers by their fruit. Don't go measuring the fruit of all your Christian brothers and sisters. That's not your job. That's not your job. I love these Christians who want to go around. Oh, look at the fruit. See, he's not really a Christian. Oh, he's just, oh look at that fruit. No, 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 no. Yeah. Lay off your fellow Christians. They're struggling just like you are in mortification of the flesh and in the renewing of the mind through the word of God. Right. Um, false teachers are known by the fruit. So when it comes to healing, deliverance, ministries, I always, I always do have a little fla- red flag in my head that goes up as soon as we call it a ministry my deliverance ministry or my healing ministry. Where does this come from? Uh, This is not um, enunciated in the words of the New Testament text. Nowhere is it. Nowhere do you see Paul saying, I have have a deliverance ministry. Nowhere does he uh, advocate for someone's particular deliverance ministry. What Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is that the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to each one as the Holy Spirit wills. Right. Not everyone has all the gifts. Not everyone has necessarily um, the one gift that leads to one kind of ministry. Uh, remember that in John chapter 13, John chapter 13 Jesus um, uh, sets an example for the disciples to wash one another's feet. In other words, serve. Take the very role of a servant, of a slave, to wash people's feet in those days. It was a slave role. Jesus takes that role right before the cross and does this for the disciples and says, now the way that I've just treated you is how you should treat one another. So as soon as somebody posts something on YouTube that they have a deliverance ministry, a red flag should go up in your mind and say, well, what, what, is this a man who is serving people or getting others to serve him? And, and by and large, you'll see that people will typically tie their deliverance or healing ministry to some kind of financial advancement for themselves. Well, that's it. If they're charging for it, shouldn't that be the Yes, the gospel is free of charge. Yeah. The gospel so is, is free of charge, and so is healing. And yeah. if people are charging you, and by the way, if people are charging you to teach you how to cast out demons or heal people, run. Don't walk. Run. Yeah. That is a charlatan. That is a charlatan. The didache. Sorry, didache. Yeah. It was the first uh, piece of literature that the early church produced outside of the Bible, outside of the scriptures, uh, which had a bunch of teaching about how to spot a true and false teacher. Because in the first century church, they had itinerant preachers that went through the towns and and came through. And and they said, here's how you spot an itinerant preacher that's real in a didache, which is if he stays one night or two nights and then leaves on his own in your house as a guest... He's a real, he's a real teacher. Okay. If he decides to stay long term, yeah, he's fishy. false, and you should reject him. Yeah. And so the point being that if they're coming to just suck you dry of your money, right, yeah. for spiritual enlightenment or power, run, <laughs> run away. Uh, you got to realize this. This is not new to our generation or the YouTube generation. But people have been make, trying to make money off of the powers of the Holy Spirit, false powers of the Holy Spirit, or, or, or manipulated powers of the Holy Spirit, since the book of Acts. Yeah. Acts Simon. chapter 8. Simon wants to pay money. Now, you ask yourself about what was Simon's ultimate game plan. He yeah. wants to pay money for the power so that he can charge money to use the power. Exactly. And anybody who's charging you money to get you empowered is a charlatan and a thief. Jesus said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Watch out. 
for the thieves and robbers that are still alive and well in the church. And there is more text on the, in the scriptures. There is more text in the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, that warn God's people yeah. against false teachers than unbelievers. Yeah. By and large, like, I can't tell you. There's not hardly any passages that warn us against unbelievers. Yeah. But you would think that there's more passages warning against unbelievers than false teachers. No. The number one enemy of the genuine Christian movement is the false Christian movement. Be on your guard against this. Yeah. And watch out for that spiritual guru game, game plan there. Uh, I'll get this power, and then I'll be a spiritual guru, and then everybody will look to me, and I'll have this ministry. Mm. Who are you serving? Yeah. Who are you serving? We've seen demons get cast out in our church. Yeah. And I saw it happen myself with my own two eyes. Two eyes. I wasn't involved in it. I saw it happening. I didn't want to get involved in it. It kind of scared me, yeah. honestly. That was, yeah. There were six people doing it. The person has been changed and part of our church ever since. Right. You don't know a single name of those people, mm. but God used them to deliver that person from demonic oppression, and her life is totally changed today. Yeah. Do we need to, do we need to go to those six people and say, teach us your ways, please? We don't know. As the Holy Spirit wills, we let the Holy Spirit do what he wants through the body of Christ to set people free. Amen. So this will answer, hopefully, Kevin's next uh, last question as well. But what is the most eye-opening conversation you can have with a non non-believer to help encourage them to come to church and have a more open heart um, while they're here? So it's a good conversation you could have to a non-believer to really encourage them to come to church. Yeah. I would just admonish you, Kevin, to ask a lot of questions about them. Mm. Everybody's favorite subject yeah. is them. <laughs> right. And I'm myself included. My favorite subject is me. Okay. You know, <laughs> everybody loves talking about them. Yeah, that's good. So talk about them. Show them that you genuinely care about them. Please don't genuinely care about getting them to church. This mm. sounds like weird coming from a pastor, but I would say don't make them a project. And if you come to First Wednesday tonight, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Mm. Don't make personal evangelism this um, multi-level marketing scheme of spirituality, wherein we turn friends into spiritual projects that we're really only friends with so that we can get them saved. Mm. Your job is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the best way, I think, to gain interest in someone's heart for the gospel is to genuinely love them and consider them in the conversation the number one topic and talk about their life and ask them questions and get to know who they are and what they care about and, who, and what's going on in life. And I guarantee you, that eventually in the conversation, you'll get to the point where they say something isn't right. Like there's some area of their life that stinks. And then you have an opportunity to minister and to share the hope of Christ and how maybe that was also a reality in your life or what God has done in your life and how he's changed your life. And, and now you start, to, you start to whet their appetite for the things of God. Be careful of turning friends, family members into spiritual projects because, number one, uh, you're not called to do that. You're called to love them. Number two, they can sniff it out. They can sniff it out. They can sniff out the inauthenticity of your making them a spiritual project, and it will do more damage than, uh, than good for them. So if somebody says, if I walk into the building and I might burn it down because of my sin, same thing applies? Because that was within the question. Oh, well, just tell them, 
we we love pyrotechnics. Come there you on go. in. Yeah. <laughs> we got smoke and lights. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just a that's just a, an excuse. And I've heard yeah. that so many times. It's um, uh, you know, I would say to that person, then you have to read the Bible, um, because the per the the Bible shows us over and over and over again the people that God uses are the people that nobody expects God to use. Yeah, that's good. Uh, such as Abraham, who sold out his wife. For his own to save his own skin, such as David who slept with a woman and killed her husband, such as Noah who got drunk after the ark experience, uh, such as Moses who killed a man, yeah. and then in the New Testament it doesn't get any better. Uh, you got Peter denying Christ. You've got uh, Simon uh, uh, Simon the Zealot who wants to militantly overthrow the Roman Empire with weapons, mm -hmm. and he's one of the inner twelve in Jesus' disciple ring. You've got Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house to have dinner today. You've got a woman who was five times married, five times divorced, and shacked up with a guy she's not married to. Mm -hmm. Possibly, also if you read the text properly, the guy that she's shacked up with is actually married to a different woman. Mm. And that woman is the man, the woman that Jesus has to go talk to in Samaria. So the very people that we think are in are actually out in the gospel, and the very people that we think are out are the ones who are most likely to get in. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the, not the healthy, right. because the sick know they need a doctor. Yeah. And so that person who says the place will burn down, ask them, why do you think that? Why do you think that? Tell me. How bad do you think you are that you're so bad you can't come to the one who can heal you? Good. So I love how this one starts off. My grandmother says, mm -hmm. um, she used to always say, tattoos and piercings are sinful in the eyes I of agree. God. And <laughs> stop it. What a godly grandmother. Fire half your staff right. right now. Um, and if God wanted me to have them, I'd be born with them. <laughs> what exactly is the Bible uh, say about modifications of this sort? Well, grandma, there's a good chance that you were not born with the amount of hair you died with. Uh, <laughs> there's a good chance that you were not born with the amount of muscles that you die with. Uh, there's a good chance that your body changed progressively uh, through age and transformation and puberty and all, all those kind of experiences. Yeah. So let's not make the argument for, as I came out of the womb, so shall I stay. Because <laughs> <laughs> in that case, we're all, we're all up the creek. you got to shave that beard then. Yeah. Um, the piercings, the uh, tattoos, uh, I always just say, you know, what's the spirit behind it? You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with... Um, uh, beautification of, of the external. There's nothing wrong with this. Um, a lot of the Old Testament practices in Leviticus are actually for the beautification of the external, such as washing hands, uh, such as uh, some of the ceremonial practices of anointing with oil, um, fragrant incense, and fragrant, un fragrant oil anointing. Uh, so these things are not in and of themselves evil. Right. Um, the beautification of the body the aim of the beautification of the body at, the, at, at, at its heart should be for the glorification of Christ. Your body is not your own. And so I would agree with don't be getting the pentagram tattoo on mm. the back of your neck yeah. uh, as a Christian. <laughs> uh, that would be dishonoring to the God who saved you. So I would be careful about what you put on your body and how you wear your clothes and how you dress because your whole life is a reflection of his glory. Um, but there's no... Uh, there is no prohibition in the New Testament uh, regarding uh, tattoos or uh, piercings. Um, you have to remember that even the, the one verse in Leviticus that talks about yeah. tattoos is actually talking about an ancient pagan practice of worship to false gods. <laughs> so nobody's getting a tattoo, I think, in, in, the, in America today in worship to the sun god. I, I mean, I, and weren't they branding and cutting themselves? In, yeah, it was, there was a lot of that. that. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so kind of on that subject, uh, Jesus Luna wants to know, can one accept the mark of the beast and still be saved? Watch the deep end in yeah. a couple, couple upcoming episodes. We'll talk about the mark of the beast. Danielle wants to know, as a parent of small children, should I avoid schools for them with strong liberal agendas or or be a light? Yeah, no, I, I would uh, tell every parent that this is a personal decision you have to make regarding your children and where they are at. My children have the benefit of having me as their father and my wife as their mother, and we are very strong, biblically-minded Christians who know how to answer the tough questions. Mm. And they come home with them all the time, and, I, and they are tough. And if you are not read up as a Christian, if you don't know the, the reason for the hope that you have, you're going to be, uh, you're gonna be the, the blank face uh, answer to them. The, you know, well, God will sort all that out later answer. And that doesn't fly anymore. Like, oh, just trust God. That answer doesn't fly. Yeah. It's, there's too many complicated questions out there that are real and genuine, and we need to have an answer for them. Um, this is why we have the podcast, and this is why we do question and answers, so that I can help you out with this. Mm. But I would say that there are some parents you just cannot enunciate the faith like you should, uh, and you, it might be the better option for you is Christian schooling. But there are some parents that it's the better option is public schooling. For my wife and I, it has always been public schooling. We have answered several of their questions. Uh, we have pointed them into the right direction, um, in, in resources in the right direction where they can get these questions answered for themselves. We're hoping that these uh, efforts are working. You know, there's no guarantees, but we're hoping that they do, and yeah. so far, so good. But when it comes to the school, I think we need more Christians in public schools, not less. I think we need more public school Christian teachers. So go get your degree, mm. go get your education, go get that job in the public school, and in the name of Christ, teach those kids to the best of your ability and genuinely love them and love your fellow teachers and be a light. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a, it's a, it's a difficult question. There's no hard and fast answer yeah, for it. Yeah, we even have a couple of principals at this school. Which is yes, cool. we do. And I love a, a yeah. couple of, I think the second episode of the Revelation season two, we had John Walker, John Walker on. Yeah. Second episode. And yeah. you got to watch that previous episode you'll see it so uh back to a previous subject but i have a co-worker who's interested in coming to waters with me uh i've been very open and not pursuing him to come to the church he came from a catholic background doesn't have that much interest in the catholic church anymore furthermore uh my conversation with him it came out that he's gay and he just moved in with his boyfriend he asked me uh the church's stance on accepting his sexuality which i know is a christian she knows what the, the answer is, but how do I answer that by still being a loving Christian and encourage him as a co-worker to come to church? Okay, well, ask him the reason for the litmus test mm. because there's a, he's, got, he's coming at us with a litmus test. That's good, yeah. Uh, and then you say, I am your friend with no litmus test. <laughs> so, you know, would you be amenable to coming to my church regardless of the fact that they would not agree with homosexual behavior as an acceptable lifestyle? Right. Uh, and if he's not, then pray. pray. Pray and ask God to open his heart that he would come because nothing would delight us as a church more than to see him walk through the doors of our church. Mm. Um, as much as we want to hold strong on biblical teaching regarding sexuality, marriage, genders, uh, all those kind of things, you know, and I think that, let me just take a moment to share something with you. The whole sexuality and gender and marriage issue that's like just the tip of the iceberg of things that could possibly offend you as you get deeper and deeper into yeah. the gospel. Sure. <laughs> like we believe some things that are really going to upset you if you get closer to us. <laughs> I mean, not weird things, but just biblical things that, like, like 
Okay, first up, we believe that we had to be saved by a poor Jewish carpenter who died on a bloody cross 2,000 years ago. And without that, we're all going to hell. Mm. Like, if that doesn't offend you, then you really haven't thought about it much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 2,000 years ago, friends. 2,000 years ago. Okay? We believe that he, not modern science, is actually the hope of our souls and our eternal salvation. If that doesn't offend you, you have not actually considered it deeply enough. Because if you consider that deeply enough, you'll start to say, wait a second, this sounds ridiculous. And to the, to the non-converted mind, it should sound ridiculous. Right. Paul says it sounds foolish to the people of this world. But the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it is the foolishness of the cross, uh, Paul says, that God has chosen to use uh, to preach to save souls. And in your conversations with whoever it is, whatever their issue is, whatever their litmus test is for not coming to our church because we need to agree with them before they come, um, you need to do a little bit more exploring of why the litmus test. Why is it now that everyone that you are willing to get into relationship with has to agree with you about everything? Yeah. Don't you realize how small your life is going to become when you limit yourself to only those who really and fully agree with you about everything. Yeah. Yeah. There are people that come to my church that don't agree with everything I say. Do I want them to stop coming? Absolutely not. I want them to come. I want them to hear God's word. I don't want to convince them that they're wrong. I want God to convince them that they're wrong. And if I'm wrong, I want God to convince me that I'm wrong. Mm. This is the hubris of the human nature. This is the rebellion we talked about in the opening segment of this conversation, of these questions. When you rebel against God, rebellion against everything else and everyone else is on the table. Do you see how it works, though? Mm. You see how it works? The, the, the um, expression of homosexuality is one small, like, little thing in the human experience, but it has now become the linchpin of almost the valuation of humanity across the spectrum. Yeah. It is the linchpin. The first, what's your stance? Wait, why is that the linchpin? How did that become the linchpin? Why don't you ask me my stance on... Um, slavery. Why isn't that a lynchpin? Sure. Right? Why is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Why isn't could the, be anything. Because we have elevated, Sigmund Freud did this to us people, we have elevated sexuality yeah. to the level of religious adherence. It is sex. It is not religion. Don't make sex your religion. Mm. You, sexual partners can be wonderful and they can provide pleasure to your one sexual partner of the opposite sex, the opposite sex can provide pleasure to your body but they make horrible saviors yeah so what we have done because of freud and his influence upon the human race and his teaching this guy who had a serious you know uh, affection unholy affection for his mother yeah. uh, taught us to make sex god and so now we've taken sex and made it god and darwin helped us eliminate god and now we have feelings Make it, we've made feelings God, subjective human feelings God, and sex is the altar on which we sacrifice to that God. Mm. As a Christian who has uh, professed their faith and life in Jesus, how do you truly know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, how do you truly know? Okay, a couple of episodes ago in the um, uh, podcast, I did a segment on the five marks, mm. distinguishing marks that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll end with this question. Okay. Uh, and I would love to go over that with you if I can just find it real quickly because it was a couple of weeks ago. And um, they are from Jonathan Edwards, who was uh, a huge part of the first great awakening in this country. Here they are. And he, and he basically watched a revival take place in New England and uh, the uh, upper northeast. 
And at the end of this, he realized that there was true and genuine, there was true Christians and then there was false Christians. And he said, what's the difference? And the difference is that the Holy Spirit produces true Christians. Uh, and when the Holy Spirit is not active, you don't have a true Christian. You just have an exuberance or an emotional reaction to what is happening in the populace. This happens in every church, by the way. There are people that put their hands up at the end of our church sure. for salvation, have no conversion experience. They just do that because in the moment, the emotional reaction causes them to do this. Um, Jesus talked about this in the parable of the soils, where there's four soils. All four soils, uh, except one, show some sign of growth, but only one soil actually produces long-term growth and fruit. Uh, this is always going to happen in the, in the uh, proclamation of the gospel. But there are five basically distinguishing marks that you have the Holy Spirit. He calls them, number one, that, you're, that uh, you esteem Jesus Christ as first in your life. Mm. He, if Jesus is not a, the big deal in your life, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, mm. period. Jesus said it, John 15, 26. He, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me Verse uh, chapter 16, verse 14, he will glorify me. If you do not long to glorify Christ, if Christ is not first in your life, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, secondly, a true work of the Holy Spirit opposes the reign of Satan and causes you to turn from sin. So you want to mortify the works of the flesh. You want to put away sinful practices that are destructive to your human flourishing. That is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Three, an increased interest in God's word, you long to know what God has said and to, and to practice it. If you don't long to know what God has said and you don't want to do what he says, you might not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fourth, an enlightenment to grasp sound doctrine. And we talked about this before, those two strains of Christian American Christianity, right? That when you are presented with the core doctrines of orthodox Christian faith, substitution ato substitutionary atonement, the propitiation of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day, uh, the declaration of the gospel to make disciples of all nations. If you don't believe those things, you, if, you don't if, you don't, if you hear them and you don't want to believe them, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit yeah. because he will take from what is Christ and make it known to you. What is he talking about? Doctrine. You love good doctrine. You love, you love Bible doctrine. Fifth, love. Love for your neighbor. Love for those who are far from God. Love for God himself. These are the signs that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. Mm. And when you have the Holy Spirit, anything is possible. Uh, because it is not by power nor by might, but by his spirit, uh, as it says uh, in the book of uh, Zechariah. The Holy Spirit leads you in the path of righteousness. He leads you uh, to greater and greater levels of glory, and he will empower you for works of service. So be filled with the Holy Spirit and let him lead you. And I hope he does. Yes or no tithing question? Should I tithe on my, I know we're done, but yeah. should I tithe on my tax return? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, actually, if we're going to split hairs, and again, I'm not a big fan of splitting hairs here. If you, if you tithe before the grows, right. like if you tithe the grows, then no, because right. you've already tithed on the money. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I do. I tithe on the gross, yeah. you know. And people say, "Well, what about that too? The gross or the net?" Well, I say, "Which one do you want to be blessed?" <laughs> I, I want the gross to be blessed, and I want to pay—not uh, pay—I want to bring God first before I bring to the government. So that's the—that's the—that's a priority question for me. Like the government is up here when I tithe on the net, but when I tithe on the gross, the government goes right below the Lord, mm. and now the government is rightly placed. 
as secondary in my life, financial life. Uh, so I, it, if you tithe on the net, then yes, you should. Good. All right. All right. That's all I got. Thanks for joining us on the Deep End Podcast this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Remember to tune in tomorrow, believe it or not. Tomorrow we're doing this again, but this time we're going to the Book of Revelation. Join us. Lots of good stuff to talk about there. So glad that you were with us. Uh, I will see you tomorrow here on the Deep End.